Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. I've been preaching through the second half of the book of Ephesians, and, and I knew I was going to be gone for a week, and so a while ago I asked Pastor Monty if he would preach, and I had kind of laid out a plan, and I thought, it'll be right for Pastor Monty to preach the armor of God. I'll be that far, and he'll just take off, and it'll be seamless. And then I got to preaching, and I didn't get as far as I intended to, and so now I have to take a step back. And so while I was going to be continuing on and just finishing off final greetings, that's all that's left after the armor of God, I am actually going back to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to talk about some more family relationships today. And so we'll be talking about family relationships. You might remember two weeks ago, I talked about the relationship between husbands and wives. Paul tells wives, submit to, the, uh, to your husbands as to the Lord, and he says, husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up. He gave his life up for her. And, and so as, as husbands and wives, we are to submit one to another. Moving, moving backward, he's unpacking uh, verse 21 in, in uh, the remainder of chapter 5, talking about husbands and wives. He start, he, he, in verse 21, he said, Submit one to another. I talked for a whole week about just submitting one to another because that command is, is essential. That, that attitude of submission one to another is, is really what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, that we would be willing to lay down our lives on behalf of another person, that we would follow the example of Jesus and submit one to another. Jesus, who was the most important person in the room, saw that nobody else was going to wash the wash the feet. And so he took off his outer robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He took the form of a slave. He took the lowliest place. Nobody else was going to say, I'm less important than all of these people. But Jesus, who was the most important, he said, I'll be the least important person here, and I will do the dirty job. That is our example of submission one to another. Jesus being willing to degrade himself, to do a job that was below him. And so, all of this comes, though, because in Ephesians 5, 15 and beyond, Paul talks about living in the Spirit's power. And he begins in verse 15, he says, so be careful how you live. This is Ephesians 5, 15. This is all off script. I'm just giving you, this is bonus material here. In, in Ephesians 5, 15, he says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. And he says, wise people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Wise people receive the power of the Holy Spirit so they can submit one to another. And then, see, he, he applies it right away to the husbands and wives. And here we are in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. And I'm going to go through verses 1 through 4 today. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 4, just verses 1 through 4. I believe it's in the PowerPoint, but you're, you should follow along. Don't trust me. He says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. 
Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So, Paul begins by addressing children. Paul, Paul is talking about several different pairs of relationships here. He starts by talking about husbands and wives, then uh, parents and children. He's going to go on and he's going to talk about slaves and masters. And in each of these cases, he starts with the, with the person in the pair that is traditionally the one with less power. So in first century Rome especially, wives had less power than their husbands. He starts by addressing wives. Here, he's talking about children and parents. Children are less powerful than their, children, than their parents in, in the relationship with their parents. He starts by addressing children. Next, he's going to talk about slaves and masters. Guess who he's going to talk about first? He's going to talk to the slaves. And so he begins by addressing children. And we have, this happens to be our family Sunday. I think the Lord worked this out perfectly because our kids haven't been sent away to children's church. So kids, this message is for you. This message is for, for all of our children. We're, uh, he, Paul says, children, obey your parents. Now, I, children, teens, I want you to know I work hard for you. As your pastor, I, t- I spent hours writing this message, researching. I looked in dictionaries, English dictionaries, and Greek dictionaries, and Greek and English dictionaries. I looked in commentaries. I looked in references. I looked in materials left and right. And, I, and here's what I found. Obey your parents. When Paul says obey your parents, the word he uses in the Greek, he wrote originally in the Greek, right? The word he uses, it means obey. (laughs) It means obey your parents. There's like no wiggle room. I tried. I tried to find a loophole for you. I promise. I worked hard to see if there was anything I could get it to say. And I, you know, I, I did all of my preacherly tri- tricks on this text to get it to say something other than, kids, you have to obey your parents. And you know what it says? It says, kids, obey your parents. My mom is here today. I want you to know, this is, I am, I am, I have subjected myself to this text. I have worked on it. There's just no wiggle room here. And so, if you go on, if you, if you continue reading, it says, uh, in, the, in the New Living Translation, the translation that I like, that I read all the time, it says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Now, if you're looking at a different translation, the New Living Translation actually isn't very faithful to the Greek text right here in a word-for-word uh, sentido, sense. Uh, the, uh, sorry, sometimes only the Spanish word comes out. Um, praise the Lord when it still happens. So when the, the New Living is more faithful to the original Greek in a word-for-word sense here, because the, uh, it's not as faithful. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm lost by getting interrupted in my brain by Spanish, sorry. Okay, here we go. The New Living is not as faithful to the original text 
in a word-by-word sense. The other text, like if you're reading in the New Living or in the New International Version, or if you're reading in, I don't know, whatever other version you might be reading, New American Standard, if you're reading in the New King James or the Old King James, whatever other text you might be reading, it probably says, obey your parents in the Lord. Is that right? Anybody who's reading something else? I see Dale is agreeing with me. Okay, the teens got it in a different version. It's, is yours, does yours agree? Uh-huh. Okay, so it says, obey your parents in the Lord. Okay, so here's, here's what I did. I did a preacher trick. I thought, okay, here we go. Maybe, maybe it means something different if there are parents in the Lord, right? Maybe that means that there is like a special category. And if our parents are believers, if we're believers and our parents are believers, then maybe we, we have to obey them. But otherwise, maybe not. And I, and I kind of subjected that to some, some looking around in the New Testament. I compared it to other places where Paul talks about children obeying your parents and other things that Paul says. And it, it turns out that that idea of maybe we only have to obey our parents if they are also believers in the Lord, maybe that idea, that actually doesn't work. That actually doesn't work. Because Paul, when he talks about the way that we live our lives with, with people who are not also Christian, he says we need to live to a high standard. We need to draw them to Christ by our good behavior, by our good works. We need to make sure that they know that we love them. And so if, if you are a child here, a believing child of a non-believer, you are still required to obey your parents. You still have to obey your parents. If, if Paul said something other than that, it would totally disagree with everything he says in other places about how our lives look in, in relationship to those outside of the church. Paul tells us when we live among those who are outside of the church, we have to live winsomely. We have to be people who draw others toward Christ. And so Paul believes that, that as Christians, we behave in certain ways. And, and one of those ways is, is to honor our relationships. And as children, regardless of whether our parents are believers or not, one of the things that we do as, as believers is to obey our parents. And, and I thought maybe, maybe there's like some special relationship that's like parents in the Lord, right? But that's just not a thing. We, when Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, he's not saying like, obey the person who introduced you to the Lord. He, he's not saying, you know, there's no idea in the New Testament of spiritual parents. There's no idea uh, in the New Testament that says, like, you have a special responsibility to the person that, that brought you to faith. Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord. He's talking about your, your biological or adopted parents, the people who are raising you, the people who you are responsible to and who are responsible to you to raise you. And so... Uh, obey. But that kind of means then that the New Living Translation actually is probably a little more faithful to what Paul means here, because he says in, in verse 1, he says, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, because you belong to the Lord. So this is, this is the natural way we will live 
if we belong to the Lord. We will obey our parents. We will, we will be obedient people in, in our family relationship. And so, Paul has been talking about what it means to belong to the Lord and, and what it means to be, be a person who is, is shaped by our, our faith. And if we go back to Ephesians 5, verse 15, Paul talks about how when we belong to the Lord, we live as wise people. We live as wise people. It is, it is wise to obey our parents. It is wise to obey our parents. But because we belong to the Lord, we want to live in a wise way. We want to be wise people. I think there is an innate desire in all of us to want to be wise people, right? It, it would be cool to be the person that is sought after for their wisdom, wouldn't it? I wouldn't know, but I'm sure it would be cool <laughs> if, if somebody would seek after you for your wisdom, right? Uh, we, we all have an innate desire to live a wise life. Wise people have good relationships, with others, right? If you think about the wise people in your life, they're people who, who have good relationships with others. Wise, wise people live exemplary lives. Wise people live lives that we would maybe want to, to imitate. And so Paul says in, in all of this, all of these uh, passages that he talks about from, from Ephesians 5.15 on, he, he talks about living wisely, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and the outworking of that is submit one to another, husbands and wives, children, obey. This is wise. This is wisdom. Submitting to our parents is wise. And the Bible bears this out over and over when the Bible talks about wisdom. It, it shows people obeying their parents. Uh, it talks about obedience to parents. In the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is probably the best collection of wisdom in the Bible. King Solomon, who was the wisest man to live, wrote down a bunch of wise sayings. And he says a bunch about children obeying their parents as a, a wise way of life. He says, I'll give you a few examples. In Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, my child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instructions. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. In chapter 6, verse 20, and I'm going to go beyond verse 20, but starting in verse 20, Proverbs 6, 20, he says, My son, obey your father's commands and do not neglect your mother's instruction. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. For their command is a lamp and their instruction a light. Their corrective discipline is, a way, is the way of life. And then finally, in, in Proverbs 13, uh, verse 1, we read, A wise child accepts a parent's discipline. A mocker refuses to listen to correction. The Bible clearly teaches that wise people listen to the instructions of their parents. And it makes sense that it is wise to listen to the instruction of our parents, isn't it? Here, here is an older person who has walked along this earth longer than us, 
like necessarily if it's, if it's apparent, right? Uh, the, I, this person has more life experience than us, and they love us. They are like programmed to love us. They love us, and they want what's best for us. And so why wouldn't we listen to the wisdom of that person who God has placed in our lives, in, in whose home we have been born? We, we ought to listen to the wisdom of our parents. And then as Paul goes on, he, he says, not only because you belong to the Lord, but it's the right thing to do. The end of verse 1, uh, he says, for this is the right thing to do, to obey your parents. Children, obey your parents because this is the right thing to do. Our, our motivation uh, is, is because we want to do what is right. Right? As, as believers, we, we have a, a certain standard of living, but Paul also calls us to, to doing what is right. This is just like innately in our, human, in our human makeup, we know that it is right to obey our, our parents. And so because it is right, and this is interesting how the Bible doesn't always comport with social norms, it doesn't always, always square with what, what society says is right and what is good. But this is one place where society and the Bible just like line up. Because most cultures say children should obey their parents. Most cultures say that. But the Bible doesn't always agree with that, right? The Bible doesn't always agree with what the culture around us says. The Bible says things like turn the other cheek. Our culture would say you're weak if you turn the other cheek. Our, uh, the, the Bible in, instructs us to love our enemies. Our culture would say, it is dumb, it is reckless to love your enemies. The Bible says that's the wise way to live. Um, the, the Bible would say, Serving pe- serve people who are below you. Serve, think of yourself as less. Our culture, meanwhile, would say, that's degrading. Have some self-respect and don't serve the people who, who are below you. But here, the Bible and culture just like line up perfectly. Our culture says, children, obey your parents. The Bible says, children, obey your parents. Like a broken clock can be right twice a day, right? This is one of those times when culture actually kind of agrees with biblical wisdom here. And most cultures in the world say, honor your parents, obey your parents. And Paul just, he, he, has, he, he just doesn't mince words. <laughs> he says, obey, obey, obey. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, teens. I couldn't find a loophole for you. I couldn't find anything for you in, in verse 1 here. And, then, and now we're going to go on to verse 2, where it gets worse. Because he says in verse 2, he quotes from, from the Old Testament. He quotes the fifth of the Ten Commandments, which says, Obey your parents. Obey, honor your father and mother. He says this is the first command with a promise. So there's two motivators here. There's a motivator, first, that this is just purely a command, right? It is a command from Scripture that you obey your parents. But then he says, there's also a promise, though. There's a promise that comes with this command. And so, if you obey your parents, he says in verse, in verse 3, if you obey your parents, if you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have long life on the earth. Now, if you're comparing verse 3 with 
uh, Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are listed, you'll notice that it's just slightly different. Because in Exodus chapter 20, it talks all about how your life will be long in the land, in the promised land, in the land that I am promising you, God says. And so Paul interprets the command for his audience that was living in Ephesus. Ephesus was not in the land that God had promised to his people, but he says it is a perfectly acceptable interpretation of the commandment to say, honor your father and mother, and you will have long life on the earth. It's not necessarily only about people who live in the promised land. The promise isn't only uh, in commandment number five. The promise isn't only for those, those Jews who lived in the promised land. The promise is for, for everyone. Honor your father and mother, and it'll go well for you. You'll have long life on the earth. And so, Paul motivates us with this, with this command. First, it's a command. Second, it's a command with a promise. We are a multi-generational body here this morning. And so, we all receive this a little bit differently. Uh, some of us are, are children of parents who have gone on to their final reward. And we, we think, yeah, kids, listen to the wisdom of your parents because we know and we would love to be able to listen to some wisdom from parents who have passed on. Uh, some of us are younger. Uh, we have a number of young people here who are still at a stage in their life of dependence on your parents. And uh, if I can just talk to those who are at a stage in life of dependence on your parents for a second, uh, let, me, let me just remind you that you're... Honoring your father and mother means obedience. It means obedience to your parents. It, it's a good thing to be dependent on your parents. It's a good thing. It's right. It is, it is how God created us to be, to have this period of time where we depend on our parents to get us through, to get us to, to a certain age where we can kind of take over things on our own. And so it's good. It's right. While you are in that stage, your, your posture toward your parents, your, your attitude toward your parents should be that of obedience, to listen to them. Uh, during, during this time, your parents are looking out for you. I promise. I promise your parents are looking out for you. Whether, whether you feel like it or not, whether it feels like your parents are, are trying to restrict you, it is generally wisdom that is, is trying to restrict you. It is generally them looking out for what is best for you. Parents want what is best for you. But let me tell you, especially teens, parenting is hard. You need to give mercy to your parents. And parenting is hard because we have such hopes and expectations for our kids. We, we want what's best for our kids. We want you to be happy. We want you to, to do well. We want you to enjoy life. And we, we know that there, there are certain bounds that will make life more enjoyable and, and more meaningful. And, and your parents are trying to give you those boundaries to help you to, help you to honor God and, and to put you on the right path. But let me tell you, the parenting is hard because parents' brains are slower than your development. Uh, this, this is a truth parents' brains are, are like two or three steps behind you developmentally. And so I, 
for, for kids, when I was a kid, I don't know if this is still true, when I was a kid, a year took like 10 years, right? It's like a lifetime to get through a year. A school year, like you, you went to second grade. When I went to second grade, I was in, in uh, Mrs. Getzinger's second grade for at least a decade. It was, it was, years were long when I was seven. Now, now that I'm older, I have a 10-year-old daughter. I have a 10-year-old daughter. I don't know how that's possible. She was born last February. <laughs> I, I don't get it. And so, teens, I'm telling you, your parents, your parents are not caught up. <laughs> They're not caught up to the reality. Like, I, I am mourning already the fact that the time is going so fast with my, my daughter who is 10, because I know that she's going to graduate like a month from Tuesday, <laughs> and, and I'm just not ready for that. And so, you may be 15, but your parents remember you like you were five, and, and they still think of you as that sweet, innocent five-year-old, and be grateful because you were a lot sweeter and cuter when you were five. They still have hopes for you to be so sweet and so cute. So children, and we're all children of our parents while we have them to, to call and, and while they're around, our first posture is to obey. Our first posture is obey. Our parents love us. They have what is best for us in mind. It is wise. It is wise for us to listen to the wisdom of our parents, to listen to their instruction, to listen to their correction. You may disagree with them. <laughs> you probably will. But it is wise to listen to your parents and to obey them. Uh, as a, as a multi-generational body here, we also have children of parents who, who are on the other end of the spectrum and, and uh, children of parents whose, whose parents have become dependent on, on their children and who, who need their children to uh, a greater or lesser extent. Uh, and for us, now let me say that my, my parents are not to this stage yet. I, I'm still, I still have a long, long time before my parents grow dependent on me. And I have older sisters to take care of them anyway. So. Um. <laughs> uh. Honoring our parents who, when we become adults, as, as, we, as we grow up and no longer are dependent on our parents in the same way that we are as, as children, as young children, we're always children, right? Uh, honoring our parents means listening, means seeking their wisdom, genuinely seeking and listening for the wisdom of our parents, genuinely, genuinely hearing them. I remember one of the best pieces of advice I got when I, when I was, uh, got married was, ask your dad for wisdom. Ask your dad for wisdom. My dad didn't have any great words, but it started a great conversation. And, and my dad was delighted to, to have the opportunity to speak to me. It, it means that we also help them to live their last years in dignity, that we help them out. As, 
I, I had this kind of realization about the pace of change in life. You know, when you're young, you get all of these abilities and, and learn all this stuff, and then you turn 20 and nothing changes for, I'm hoping, another 40 or 50 years, because um, I still feel like I'm 20, and that was like half my lifetime ago. Uh, and, and so, but then all of us are different, but we all reach an age where the pace of change picks up again, and we start forgetting and we can't do physically the things that we used to be able to do and and those of us with parents in in their sunset years your parents remember what they could do a year ago and sometimes think they still can do a year ago but can't and so as as parent as children we continue to honor our parents continue to to try to uh to make their, their last years as enjoyable as possible, to help them, to help them live um, in comfort and dignity, and to honor them. Biblical, biblical submission recommends that we, we treat our parents as we will want to be treated when we get to the age where we depend on our own kids, right? The Holy Spirit guides us so that we have the strength to do what is right for our parents, even when it's hard, even, even when it's expensive, even, even when it's time-consuming. The Holy Spirit guides us to do what is right, to honor our mothers and our fathers. I've often wondered if the command honor your father and mother, it comes with a promise. I've wondered if the promise isn't more about the example that we set, the promise for long life. It'll go well for you, and you'll have long life in the land. I wonder if, if it, it's not that the example that we set for future generations will, will set the precedent for how we are treated when we age and if, if we honor our fathers and mothers, then the generation that comes behind us will honor their fathers and mothers and take good care of us. It's true, though, that Paul doesn't put any age limit on the command. He simply says, obey, honor, no exceptions, no caveats, no loopholes. Couldn't find a single one. I looked all over. <laughs> There's not one to be found. And so everyone who is a child of a, of a parent is to obey and to honor. And then Paul, Paul works through these family relationships. He's talked about, about husbands and wives, and now he's, he's not just talking to children. He says parents. In, in verse 4, he, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so, Paul, Paul tells us that we're, as parents, uh, we, we're supposed to bring them up, <laughs> bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction is, is doing what I said to our kids. We do. We provide boundaries. Instruction means we speak. We tell our children, these are the boundaries. These are the areas that, that uh, 
you need to stay within. We show. We, ins- we, we don't only speak, but we show our kids these are the boundaries that we live in, that we stay in as, as Christian people. We, we bring our children up. And, and discipline means that the boundaries mean something. That going over a boundary hurts. It's, uh, <laughs> we have the teenager laughing. Uh, boundary, going cross, across a boundary, it, it should come with a consequence. And often the boundaries that we set, and the boundaries we set the older our kids get, they just come really naturally and easily because the boundary that we set, it comes with a natural consequence after the, after the fact. With younger ones, we have to kind of create some consequences. Kids should know what the consequence is going to be when they cross the boundary. I, I am for a vague consequence every now and then. You do not want to know what will happen to you. It's a powerful parenting tool. <laughs> but as, as parents, we need to let our kids know this is the boundary, and this is what will happen if you cross the boundary. As our, as our children get older, we continue to offer them instruction. We continue to offer them our wisdom, but we don't have the opportunity to provide discipline and boundaries in the same way. Um, it's pretty hard for, for parents of adults to, to provide discipline. And so uh, these words are, are meant more for parents of younger children. Paul says, don't provoke your kids to anger. Uh, There's a significant difference between provoking and being proactive, isn't there? Uh, we, We will rarely provoke our children if we proactively tell the kids, this is where the boundary is. This is what's going to happen if you if you cross the boundary. Being proactive is, is kind of an antidote to, to provoking our kids. There, there are a few pitfalls, though, that we can fall into. And as Paul says, this is about wise living. This is about living as wise people, as believers. I, I was thinking about some of the, the ways that we can fall into traps as parents, um, some pitfalls. There's a, a few that I thought of. A couple are related to our ego. Uh, our, our own ego gets damaged when our kids say no or go over the boundary that, that we have set for them. Because in our own world, we are, we are boss and, and our kids ought to follow us just because I've said so. And, and so we can, as parents, have our ego hurt, have our, have our feelings hurt, we can lash out in anger, and, and that's not proactive, and that is more provoking parenting. Paul says, don't provoke your children to anger. So we have to watch our ego. We also have to watch our ego as it relates to what people think about us, because sometimes we can feel like, maybe I'm the only one who feels this way, but I feel like our children are a reflection of who we are, and so if our children aren't perfect 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then people will start to realize that I'm not perfect 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, and so we, we worry that our children are a reflection on us in some unhealthy way. And we can, again, get angry and lash out and, and treat our children in ways that aren't fair 
because we have our own ego wrapped up in, in how our children behave. Another, another pitfall that, that we can come to is, is just not picking our battles well. As, as parents, wisdom, wisdom suggests that we, that we let our wisdom be wisdom in, in the important circumstances and, and maybe not in the less important circumstances. Alyssa and I were driving through a Costco parking lot. Spin probably our kids were tiny. It was in Kennewick. Um, we may have only we may not have had any kids. I can't remember. But uh, we we saw a mom and a dad and a teenage daughter. And the teenage daughter, I I don't really remember what she was wearing, but uh, she was dressed very inappropriately for Costco. You know, like maybe she had thought they were only going to Walmart. And she would be fine. <laughs> um, I remember, I remember a crazy, <laughs> I remember a crazy, crazy head of hair, and just very, just inappropriate. I don't, I don't recall all of it. Uh, Alyssa, Alyssa, as a person with wisdom and foresight, uh, she, she said, those parents. They have picked the battle. Because you know what? It didn't matter that their teenage daughter was kind of making a fool of herself by being dressed inappropriately at Costco. Um, and they had picked, picked the right battle. They got their teenage daughter to go to, with them to Costco. Wouldn't that be fun? Parents of teenagers? Whether they're dressed appropriately or not. And, and so... Uh, we, we have to recognize that sometimes a shirt is just a shirt, and it doesn't really matter as much as, as we make it out to be. That our children are not dooming themselves to failure when they don't listen to our wisdom about how they do their hair. Our children are not dooming themselves to, to reject all wisdom when, when they reject our wisdom about some small issue. And, and our kids... We, we need to recognize when, when wisdom is really wisdom and when wisdom is just our opinion about how we want these kids to behave. And then one other thing I think wisdom would, would teach us uh, is that wisdom would teach us to enjoy our kids. And this kind of goes beyond, beyond any particular age. Uh, wisdom, wisdom would recommend that, that we just enjoy the gift that God has given us as parents. Um, I, the, the wisest people I know, they laugh a lot, they smile, they enjoy life. And, and the wise, a lot of the wise people I know, they, they just enjoy life with their kids too. <laughs> they, they enjoy being around the kids that God has given them. And, and for, for some I, looking around, I see a lot of parents who have kids across the country. They can't, can't enjoy their kids like they would like to, day in and day out. Um, but enjoy your kids as you can. Remind them how much you enjoy them. Remind them how much you love them, how important they are to you. What a joy it is to be their mom or their dad. Uh, we never get tired of it, do we, as kids? Wisdom, wisdom would remind us to enjoy being parents.
to have fun with our kids, to laugh with our kids. And then Paul, Paul says, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. The best, the best boundaries we can place, the best wisdom, best discipline and instruction we can give is Christian discipline and instruction. The best thing that we can do for our kids is leave a legacy of following Christ with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strengths. Strength. Paul, Paul would remind us that we, we live in front of our kids as an example of wisdom. And this morning, as we, as we submit one to another, and, and as we consider what it means as parents and as children to honor, to obey, to, to bring our kids up in the way that we ought to. I'm going to invite us to, to gather together in, in family groups and to take communion together. And so uh, we're going to end by, by inviting the Lord uh, to, to host us uh, in the meal of communion. Dave and Colleen are, are wandering around with elements if you've forgotten them. Uh, teens, I uh, would invite you to, to find parents. If, if your parents are here, find them. If, there are, if your parents are not here, maybe there's a youth leader that you would like to, to go find. I see Jeremy's looking for, for teens that might want to find. Go ahead and stand up, teens. Go ahead and stand up if there's kids that need to move around. If, if you're an adult and you want uh, to find your parents, you're, you're welcome to do that. If you want to just be with your, your husband or your wife, that's fine. I'd encourage you to, to find family, to find folks that you can belong with. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to remind you what I remind you every time we take communion, and I'm going to say a prayer. And, and then I'm going to invite you to serve one another, whether it's kids serving parents or parents serving kids, uh, whether it's husband serving wife or wife serving husband, I'm, I'm going to invite you to serve one another this morning, to, to remind one another that uh, what this meal is about. So let me remind you, first of all, that this is a sacrament that the Lord has commanded us to partake in. The, the bread and the wine are tokens, emblems of, of Jesus' broken body and shed blood on our behalf. Uh, we, as we come together, we celebrate this sacrament um, as believers. In the Church of the Nazarene, you don't have to be baptized into this church. You don't have to be a member of the church. We, we only ask that you would be serious about following Jesus to take this, that you not take it lightly. And so, for those who will take, we, we remember that this is a symbol of Jesus' broken body and shed blood. It's also a reminder that Jesus has not finished here on this earth, that he will come again and he will set all things to right. It's a reminder that any time we gather, regardless of whether it's family serving one another or a pastor serving you, it's truly Jesus who is our host. It is one table. We, we take this meal together 
with Christians everywhere. We are one as we receive it. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God of all mercy and grace, you sent Jesus to die for us. You love us like, like parent. Hear us now, we most humbly pray. Lord, I ask that you would come into this time, that your Holy Spirit would guide us and bind us closer together as family, as friends, as loved ones, as people who, who are a part of this body, who need one another and need you, Lord. We remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. We remember that after the meal, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so, Lord, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Christ Jesus, we, we ask that you would pour out now your Holy Spirit on this gift of bread and wine, that they might be for us, the body and blood of Jesus, so that we may be for the world, his body, redeemed by his blood. We thank you, God, in all sincerity and with great hope that you have given us your grace for this moment, that we can share this meal with one another and with all believers, with certain hope of Jesus, our Lord. And so, God, it is in his powerful name by the grace of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen.